Hi everyone, welcome back to The Color in Art, a podcast that looks at diversity, equity, and inclusion in the arts industry. Last episode, I had a great conversation with Sarah Harberson, a college counselor and author who had an amazing story to share with listeners. If you haven't already, go check that out. Today, I'm speaking with Vikas Arun, a South Asian dancer, educator, and choreographer in various Western and Indian styles, as well as an accomplished engineer. As a queer South Asian male artist, Vikas has experienced firsthand what DEI means in the dance field. And in our conversation, he shares his story and his advice for other aspiring minority artists. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Can you share your name and pronouns and what are your professions slash passions and do you have any aspect of your identity that you'd like to share? Sure. Uh, my name is Vikas Arun. Um, I go by he, him, his. Um, I'm a professional dancer, choreographer, and teacher, um, primarily specializing in top dance, contemporary dance, um, and various forms of Indian folk and classical dance. Um, and I guess an aspect of my identity that I always like to share on podcasts is I'm a proud member of the LGBTQ community. Um, even if it has nothing to do with the conversation like today, I just feel like there's not that many, um, queer South Asians out there. So I always like to be vocal that we're here and we exist just in case, uh, someone out there needs some support or some community, you know, we exist and we're here and we love you. So, yeah. Yeah, perfect. And that's amazing to hear. And how did you get into your form of art? Did, was there any specific motivations? And was there ever a fear of being in the arts industry due to any aspect of your, your identity? Yeah, um, so I got into dance uh, primarily at first through Bollywood movies. So um, I used to like dance to all types of music as a kid, um, much to the annoyance of my parents. By the time I was three, I like figured out how to put a cassette in the tape recorder and hit play, and they lost all sense of peace and quiet in the home once I learned how to do that. Um, but when I was, I think, five or six, um, they showed me a video of Chaya Chaya, which for your viewers who don't know, is this really famous Bollywood song where Shah Rukh Khan dances on top of a moving train. Um, and I watched it like seven times in a row, and then I turned around and like did all the choreography. Uh, and my parents were like, oh, okay, this kid really likes learning how to dance. Um, so they took me to a dance studio. I ran into the tap class. And so the rest, as they say, is history. Um, I feel like most kids who found a passion young, it wasn't my only thing that I did when I was very young. But by the time I was in middle school, I kind of started taking it much more seriously and training harder, competing more, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I think at that age, to the second part of your question, I, I don't think I realized that there was um, a lot of discrimination and like lack of uh, diversity in the arts community. Because at the time I was growing up, like there was the first Bollywood dance on So You Think You Can Dance. Like we were starting to open up the dance world to different types of people. And so I think I saw those and didn't realize like all the fight that caused those things to exist um so i think my bigger fear as a kid was more so whether like my community and like uh you know my family uh, would be like accepting of an arts career but i don't think i quite understood what i was getting myself into in terms of um going into a space where there's very few people who look like me um, and i joke with some colleagues sometimes that i almost wish that i have i sometimes don't know that because uh, sometimes the blissful ignorance is like kind of nice and you're just there because you love it. 
um, versus now as I'm older and the world has changed, uh, you know, you're very aware that you are the only person who looks like you in the space. And sometimes that's um, really intense. So um, I think had I known that as a, a younger kid, I don't know if I would have chosen to, to, to go into the arts. I was blissfully ignorant, so to speak. Yeah, I relate completely because I started in Bollywood dance when I was like five or six. And I also really didn't realize any of that because I was surrounded by some people who looked at like me in the Bollywood space. But then yeah. moving into other genres of dance that quickly <laughs> faded away. Yeah, exactly. The different parts of the dance world are really like separated in this day and age, you know, like the Bollywood dancers and like the Indian classical dancers live in one world and like the competitive slash commercial dancers live in one world and there's like the concert dancers who live in another world and those worlds like very rarely collide um, and so if you're somebody who who jumps from one world to another or like used to spend more time in one world and now is in another it's like very disorienting and jarring how different those worlds are sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, very true. And that's really why I started to realize the different issues with diversity, because I came from a space that was there was everyone looked like me. And then suddenly that didn't happen. And it's really cool to hear that someone else shares the same story. And you talked about family and community. So was there ever a stigma about pursuing dance within your own family or South Asian community? Yeah, I am very fortunate that there was never really a stigma about it for my parents. Um, my parents are not artists. Um, so they like didn't quite always know how to support me just because, you know, they don't know who to help mentor me or stuff like that. But they were always supportive of the career. They just like couldn't quite guide me because they know nothing about this industry. Um, so I was very lucky that it was most of the time a question of like, sure, go do this, but like, we can't really help you answer some of the questions that you have because we just really know nobody who can like help guide you. Um, the bigger fear I had was really um, about my community. And when I use the word community, I should be specific. I didn't really have any fear about like the, the family friends that were really close to us. Um, they were all extremely supportive of my mm -hmm. dance career. Um, but I had this weird fear and I don't, not not phrase it, but I just fear of like the generic community being like judgmental of my career choice. But when I like, whenever I critically thought about it, I was like, my family's fine with it. All the people who like come over for Thanksgiving and are like close and that I spend time with are fine with it. So like, who exactly is it that I'm worried about? But for some reason, I had this like very generic, not very specific fear about like quote unquote Indians judging me. Um, and it's a, it's, I still am not 100% sure where that comes from because any like rational thinking of the people who are close to me shows that everyone is like extremely supportive of my dance career. Anytime I go back to Seattle, everyone is like so proud and asks what's going on. Um, but somehow still, despite all of that, I had this like strange fear of like I'm different and maybe it's because I'd never seen another Indian performer before, um, like professional performer. So in my brain, maybe I'd internalized this like um, unsaid rule of like people like us don't do this thing um, and maybe that's why I felt like different for doing it and worried about being judged um, but that dichotomy has always confused me because everyone directly around me was very supportive and yet that fear was somehow still there. Yeah interesting and do you think that fear stemmed more from being a male dancer or being like an Indian dancer or it was a combination of both? I don't think most of it was from being a male dancer. I was lucky that the studio I went to had like a lot of male dancers growing up. Like there was at least 
four male dancers on our competitive team every year. Um, the year after I left, in fact, there was four male dancers on the senior team. So they did a senior boys small group tap piece, which is like crazy. That like never happens. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if there's so much that. Um, I think it was two things. I think one of it was the South Asian piece because um, I think a lot of people, again, who are not close to me, but say are like I encounter in the community, say like once a year or even less than that, like very tangentially. I think they all kind of didn't realize how passionate about dance I was and so assumed I would like drop it the second I went to college. And so I did have a few incidents of when I came back from college and I was, you know, still pursuing dance and trying to perform and teach at that point. But, you know, you're young in your career and it's not quite working out. I think I had um, some like people who are not very close to us kind of like mention at a party, like, you know, you should really think about your financial future or, you know, it's really hard to be an artist. Maybe you should consider something else. So I think that kind of did affect me. And then I think also um, I didn't come out to myself until my senior year of college. So I think there was some like homophobia internalized there because um, I mean, I'm from Seattle. It's a pretty liberal city, but I do think I still internalize this um, stereotype of like male dancers being effeminate which is like not how I present I'm a very like cisgendered man um but um and in Indian dance like you know men dance all the time but I think somehow in the like competitive dance western competitive dance space as you know there's like not that many male dancers um and so I I think maybe that was where some of the additional fear came from was like it kind of like forced me to like think about my sexuality in a way that at the time I just kind of like shunned it and didn't really want to do um so part part of it was probably you know me coming not wanting to come to terms with that okay yeah and it's very uh similar to what I asked before but like during your time in the industry what ways has your identity been important factor in your career played a role in your experience as an artist do you have a specific situation you could share yeah so I actually didn't really like embrace my Indianness in my art for the first I think maybe five years of my career like I didn't hide it of course if you look at me it's extremely obvious that I'm Indian I don't think anybody <laughs> would, would say otherwise um, but I was primarily pursuing a tap and contemporary dance career um, so you know I was like performing for various tap companies performing for a few contemporary dance companies and none of the work that I was doing, like, necessarily had anything to do with my Indianness. I was just, you know, a dancer doing whatever contemporary dance or tap dance work was asked of me. Um, and then about a f five years or so into my career, I, um, by fluke, um, met Ramita, who I know was on your podcast before, yeah. um, who I met through So You Think You Can Dance, because we both kind of got to the stage right before you get cast for the show, um, one season apart. And so we kind of met each other through that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I auditioned for Mystic India, which is a Bollywood show that used to tour around the country for 10 years, but recently closed. Um, and I got cast as a male lead and I started doing that. And that was my first foray into uh, realizing that, oh, I can do Indian dance in a professional capacity. I just think that's never crossed my mind that that's something you can actually get paid to do. I always thought of it as a fun thing that I did growing up, but it ended there. Uh, and that really changed where my career went. So now, like, my... Indianness is a huge part of my tap dance career, actually. So um, I have a company that I co-founded with Ramita called Project Convergence, which unites tap dance and Bharatanatyam, which for your viewers who don't know is a form of classical Indian dance. And so all our work encompasses both styles of dancers. So that's obviously a very um, visible way that I embrace my Indianness in my tap work now. 
Um, and it started like a creative journey for me of like rediscovering my Indianness. Um, like I was trained in like, or I learned folk dance and Bollywood dance similar to you growing up, but I never learned classical Indian dance. I've watched a lot of it, but I never learned it. And so in the past few years, courtesy of starting Project Convergence with Ramita, I've gotten so interested in Bharatanatyam. I started training in it. I started learning some basics of classical Indian music. And now when I teach at tap dance festivals around the country, I teach tap exercises that are very explicitly influenced by Carnatic music theory. So actually this week is the New York City Tap Festival. And so yesterday, actually, I was teaching um, some advanced classes to some of the dancers where we did technical exercises based on Carnatic music um, structures and like incorporated that into tap, tap vocabulary, which is great for those dancers because it just forces you to think about music in a very different way from how tap dancers typically think about music, which is in jazz music-based structures. Um, so now I feel like it's a very visible part of my identity, um, but it's funny because if you like, I don't know, scroll through my Instagram history or somehow rewind the clock to five years ago, it was pretty much absent from like how I talked about my art, how I presented myself, how I presented my work. Um, so the change, it was kind of a delayed response, I think, to having been successful in the top and contemporary dance world, but then feeling kind of like, mm, there's like something missing here that I'm not fully expressing. Um, and so now it's a huge part of, of my identity and, and what I teach and the work that I present. Yeah, that's amazing because you're merging something that was in the Western field and the classical Indian styles. And that's super interesting. And that's a great way for people who are learning to tap to get to know different worlds, cultures and slowly merge the two very disparate industries together. Yeah, exactly. Like our goal at Project Convergence, um, like the, the motto we have is like uniting cultures without erasing the unique identity of either. Um, and these styles are so similar to each other, but, you know, most people don't know, and most people usually know one of these styles. Very few people know both of these styles. Um, but when you start to dive into not just the movement and the rhythms, but if you dive into the history, even like these forms are so similar to each other. They have very similar relationships to being discriminated against. They have very similar relationships to now trying to kind of rebuild their roots. So it's like really funny because when you put these two dancers in the space and just teach them a bit about the opposing form, they're like, oh my God, wow, you're so similar to me. And there's this like fun sort of like team oriented atmosphere, almost the way when like, you know, underrepresented minorities get in a room together, there's this like sort of camaraderie. Um, the same sort of thing happens when we put these two styles together and it's kind of this like magic, like my favorite part of rehearsals is often the um, unstructured, you know, like break time or something, whereas, you know, dancers are talking to each other and something really crazy and fun comes out of that always. Um, so yeah, it's a beautiful way to like expose either Indians to a black art form or people who are comfortable with tap dance to Indian culture and musicality. It's just a, a really fun um, experience. And it feels like you're being like true to yourself too. Um, I think something I realized was I loved dancing for all the people I danced for, but I always felt like I was somewhat hiding something, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So this, this feels a bit more like I'm living my truth through my work, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. And that's amazing. Um, so in your career, could you share a story where you might have felt judged, discriminated, or viewed differently because of your identity? And did this situation affect your future participation in dance, or did you continue pursuing it? Yeah, um, I'll pick a, a pretty big one, I guess, because I think it's, maybe it's just like useful as an example of the types of things um, we as South Asians face. Um, so I, um, my agent asked me to audition for Aladdin a few years ago. 
um, the context is at the time I was in Stomp, and so I was not particularly actually like looking to jump ship. Um, but I, since I'm in Stomp, I don't like take much work from my agent. And so I felt like, you know what, it's Aladdin. It's a show that didn't have much South Asian identity until the year I was asked to audition. Um, the year I was asked to audition is when Shobhan Narayan and Michael Meliakal were cast in leads, which was like a huge moment. And so I felt like, okay, even if I don't really want to be in the show, I should at least show up to the audition room. Because if I don't show up to the audition room, they don't even have the option to cast a South Asian. So I kept not show up and then be angry about the casting. <laughs> Uh, so I was like, okay, fine, I'll show up. Um, and so it was really funny. Before we started the audition, um, there was this whole cultural sensitivity statement, um, which to summarize essentially said, like, we're indebted to the cultures that Aladdin pulls from, which are Manasa cultures. I don't know if you've heard that acronym before. I had never heard it before, but it stands for Middle Eastern, North African, and South Asian. Uh, and there was this whole, you know, we're really indebted to these beautiful cultures and, we, you know, we do our best to represent them accurately in this space. Uh, and I was kind of like, okay, I don't really view Aladdin as South Asian, to be totally honest. Like, it feels like this weird, like, world that tries to clash everything east of, like, Europe. And I was like, fine, whatever, cool. Um, so I went into the audition room. It was during COVID. So at that time, um, I guess for your viewers who are not familiar with New York City auditions, Usually New York City auditions are like hundreds of people in a room at a time. Um, but due to COVID, they were having smaller groups of like eight to 10 dancers. And they would teach you a pretty short, like four eight count combination, have you do it twice. And then they would like move to the next group because they're trying to keep people socially distanced. So in this group, the, the choreographer would have you do it once and then he'd give each person a note and then he'd have you do it again to like see how good you are at taking notes. Um, and the note that he gave me, and I'll paraphrase, was something along the lines of, this culture is dark where you can cut anyone with your finger if you want to. Um, so I want you to have more like intensity and heaviness in your movement. Um, and I kind of like froze because my brain immediately went, wait, you just told me you're trying to respect South Asian culture. And now 30 minutes later, you're telling me this culture is dark where you can like, you know, murder people essentially whenever you want to I like and you're saying this to the only South Asian person in the room when everyone else in the room was white um, like you just understand what's happening um, but I didn't like vocalize that in the moment I kind of just took the note performed and then I walked out of the room and like had to vent actually to Ramitha I like called her immediately and was like I cannot believe this just happened um, and so I walked out the audition I tried to send a message to um, the Aladdin team, because I know people in the show, I know people know the choreographer, um, and nothing ever happened of it. And I think that was really um, telling to me because I know somebody who knows this um, director really well, and I talked to her about it, and uh, she laughed because um, her reaction was that was extremely not okay, and I'm sure that person didn't realize at all what they were doing because they have a heart of gold and just had no idea what they were saying. Um, and there were seven other people in the room, all creative directors or producers who were all sitting watching the audition and no one said anything. Um, and I think that was like the prime example to me of like being a bystander who doesn't intervene. I was like, there are all these powerful people in this room who just heard this person say this thing to the one person of color in the audition and everyone just continued to sit and watch. And maybe they were uncomfortable, maybe they weren't, but nobody stood up in that moment um when i'm the subordinate you know i have no power in that room and um, i think that was like a really just poignant example to me of okay even people who really are trying to do their best 
often just because they don't know what it's like to be in that situation, just say things or act in a way that if you approach them about it afterwards, um, I'm sure they'd react in a way that, you know, was reveals that they are, are upset that they did that. But people who intend to do things well often still make people feel really uncomfortable. Um, and there's just a crazy example of how much work we have to do in this industry, despite how far we've come. Yeah, that's that's a crazy situation. And thank you for sharing that. And I feel like a lot of it is also because of lack of education and like people being very ignorant of like the surroundings and the peoples and cultures that they have to know about in order to say things like that and or to avoid saying things like that. Um, and do you have um, an instance maybe where you've witnessed a lack of representation within dance institutionally or maybe even on like a seemingly insignificant level? Yeah, uh, this is a great question um, because as annoying as that previous story was, I feel like the insignificant things are the things that add up and really make you feel frustrated sometimes. Um, so I'll give you like two, maybe three examples. Um, the first one, which I'm sure you're super familiar with, is like the way we hire dance competition judges in the like Western commercial competition dance world. Um, we are very biased towards dance uh, judges who um, are able to critique contemporary jazz, musical theater, and ballet in uh, an extreme amount of depth. Um, and we often hire judges who are really good at that and have little to no background in tap or hip hop, um, but we're completely unwilling to do the opposite. So I'm lucky to be a tap dancer who is trained in other things, but there are a lot of tap dancers who are not trained in ballet or contemporary jazz, um, including some of the dancers in my own company. And whenever I refer these dancers to competitions, they refuse to hire them because they're worried that these dancers cannot judge, you know, the musical theater or contemporary categories at the same level of depth as other judges. Like these, these judges are capable of giving solid feedback, which is not as deep as someone who is a contemporary dancer. And it always frustrates me because I'm like, well, your contemporary judge doesn't have any background in tap and their tap critiques are honestly pretty terrible. Um, and it just kind of shows what we value. Like we're willing to value the white ballet-based forms um, and we're willing to hire a judge who's good at those and not good at, you know, the black forms, i.e. tap and hip-hop. But we're not willing to do the opposite. We're not willing to hire a judge who's experienced in those forms and not as experienced in the white dance forms. And then we're confused why tap dancers and hip-hop dancers don't show up to dance competition. It's like, well, they don't get good feedback. They never get scored. The, you know, the good tap dancers and hip-hop dancers always get scored worse than the good contemporary jazz you know, musical theater dancers. Yes. Um, and so then it's yeah. like a feedback loop because this was not as much of a problem when I was growing up. There's a lot more tap and dance competition when I was growing up. And now I go to so many cities where I judge like 15 tap routines out of 800 numbers the whole weekend um, because a lot of tap dancers feel like, why should I go to competition when I'm not getting judged by someone who is even educated in the style that I'm doing? I'm like, most of the time, there's not even one judge on the panel who's educated in tap, leave alone multiple. So that's the first problem. Um, and it results in feedback that's very whitewashed. Like I got told a lot growing up, um, you know, you're a great tap dancer, but you should take ballet because ballet is the foundation of all dance forms. Um, and at the time, I didn't have the words for that. But now I'm kind of like, no, ballet is the foundation of ballet-based dance forms. It has nothing to do with tap or hip hop or Marthenatium or flamenco or any of those other things. But at the time as a kid, you know, I didn't really know how to respond to that. Um, and it just like, it makes you feel kind of unwelcome in the dance world. So that's kind of one, one 
way where we have this sort of like minute injustice, so to speak. Um, the other one, which really frustrates me, and uh, this might sound really kind of picky, but um, we have a lot of discrimination based on the type of flooring dancers use in the professional dance industry. So um, I'm sure, as you know, like in dance competition world or dance studio world in like North America and Europe, Marley is like the standard. Yeah. Um, every dance studio is Marley. Every stage is Marley. Um, and if you go anywhere outside white cultures, essentially, like wood is the standard. If you look at, you know, Indian dance forms, if you look at like flamenco or any other Hispanic dance forms, if you look at a lot of African dance forms, like wood is often the standard, A, because it's usually cheaper. And then B, because a lot of non-white cultures tend to have a lot more percussive dance forms than white cultures do. That's a broad generalization, but like generally speaking, that's like a trend. Um, and it really frustrates me because as like a professional, um, there are so many theaters and venues across the country that on default provide Marley. And if you want, if you have a percussive dance form or a form that requires wood, you have to bring your own flooring to perform at these venues. Uh, I'm talking about really well-known venues such as the Joyce Theater or Lincoln Center or these like really established venues. Um, and so essentially what that says is like, we want to do everything we can to make it easy for like the ballet-based dance forms to perform here. But if you want to bring something that's not ballet-based, you have to go through the cost of acquiring your own floor, trucking it over here, setting it up, all that sort of stuff. And that's obviously prohibitively expensive. Um, or just downright knowing for you know most dance companies that are not um, ballet-based forms. Um, and so it results in a lot of just um, biased presenting of work. So like the Joyce Theater, um, which is a well-known dance theater in New York is a fantastic example. They're trying now more to diversify, but even after all that, like 80% of their programming is contemporary and modern dance. Um, and that's not because there's not companies out there who want to perform at the Joyce. It's just like prohibitive for them to do so because they would have to bring in their own flooring. And that's just, you know, something that they're not able to do. Um, and so something as simple as that, the problem with that is if you ask like a theater presenter or a dance studio owner, like, hey, why did you choose Marley? They're not going to say, oh, because I prefer white dance forms over non-white dance forms. They're not thinking that. They're thinking is just this is the standard in the U.S. to provide Marley. And it's like almost the most dangerous form of like exclusion because it's the standard and you don't even question why it's the standard. Um, and it's like very dangerous for that reason because people don't even realize that making that choice shuts out, you know, the majority of the world right there. Um, but it does. Um, and so like, I can't tell you the number of times we've been asked to perform at really well-known venues and then it falls through because they're unwilling to provide a floor um, and it is prohibitively expensive for us to get our own floor and truck it to wherever we're going. Um, so that's like a thing that really, really um, frustrates me. And then the last one, I guess, is um, the way we fund dance in the U.S. There's a lot of funding, again, for modern contemporary um, companies, a lot of funding for Broadway shows, which are primarily musical theater. And, you know, cultural dance, as it's called in the U.S., i.e. tap, hip-hop, you know, Bollywood, all those things don't get much um, financial support. And that's like part of the reason, you know, all there's so many modern dance companies and not that many Bollywood dance companies, for example. Um, so all these things, like none of these things alone is that big of a deal, but you put them all together. And it means that like at each stage in a dancer's journey, there's like so much pushing them towards contemporary and modern and ballet and musical theater and so much pushing them away from hip hop and tap and other dance forms. And then we like wonder why it's hard to hire a hip hop or a tap dance teacher at a local dance studio. Um, 
And it's like, okay, well, when they're training, the competitions are not meant for them. When they're performing, most theaters don't have the flowing for them. And then if they ever create their own work, there's no financial support for those dance companies. So it's, it's a great example of like systemic, uh, maybe racism is the wrong word, but systemic discrimination of like, at each point in the journey, we make it really hard for dancers who aren't doing ballet-based dance forms. Um, and so it's like a death by a thousand cuts, I feel like, for a lot of these dancers. It's really hard to watch sometimes. Yeah, and that's a really interesting perspective. And I think the first one you mentioned about the judges aspect, I've heard so many times about ballet being the foundation of all dance forms and that generalization. And also yeah. the when we go to dance competitions, the hip-hop ones never perform as well. Like, I used to have a hip-hop solo and a contemporary solo, and I competed both at the same competition, but the hip-hop one always had significantly worse, even though, in my opinion, I think it was choreographed better. Yeah, and it's a, it's a, again, it's a thing that people don't really realize. Like, I judge on a lot of these judging panels, and I try every year, like, guys, we, we cannot, like, please don't say ballet is the foundation of all dance forms. Which I know contemporary, like, yes, your ballet technique is extremely important for that, but don't say that on a hip-hop critique or a talk critique. Like, it's so just unaware. Um, you'd be shocked, actually. A lot of competitions, when they're hiring judges, the questionnaire asks, I actually had a competition last year that asked this question. The question was, uh, do you feel qualified to judge all dance forms? And I was like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, I can't even name all dance forms. <laughs> People don't feel qualified to judge all of them. Like, yes, I feel qualified to judge the dance forms that will show up at your dance competition, which I know are primarily contemporary jazz musical theater and then like a bit of hip-hop a bit of tap and like almost no ballet but like no i wouldn't feel comfortable judging african dance if it were to show up but i know it's not going to show up at your dance competition but like that question kind of shows like the bias of the people like running the industry um so yeah it's it's uh, and it might feel crazy to you but it's actually gotten better since when i competed which is scary to think about but it has actually gotten a bit better yeah and talking about progress, do you believe institutionally there has been noticeable progress uh, regarding DEI and dance? Huh. Um, the answer is yes and no, depending on where you look. Um, I think nowadays, I mean, we're having this conversation, so clearly people are willing to talk about this type of issue. Um, I, and, you know, I'm sure you don't see that many Indians competing or South Asians competing in, like, um, dance competitions. No. <laughs> but there are, I have noticed a lot more actually in the past few years than when I first started judging. Like now I go to each city and I at least see one in most cities. Sometimes I see up to like four to five in each city versus when I first started judging, it was like, I would see like two to four a whole season across like, you know, 25 cities. So now I'm like, oh, okay. At least in each city I see, most of the time I see one. If we're in some like really small city, maybe not. Um, and most of the time, I at least in one each division see like one Indian kid. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I know if you're that one person, it doesn't feel like progress at all. <laughs> um, but to me, kind of traveling across the country, I'm like, oh, okay, we're starting to pop up. Yeah. Um, so there is that. Um, and people are willing to have conversations about certain things. So, for example, I judge a competition where there is a kind of, um, we're to say, insensitive, like J Ho dance rendition. And I was at least able to like have a conversation with the competition director and then have a conversation with the studio about it. So like that is going to happen. Um, I think the problem is for those who are, you know, used to having their place in the competition world, um, such as, you know, the studios that primarily focus on jazz or contemporary or whatever, um, they still don't really know how to be sensitive until those who feel outcast use certain trigger words. So if you say like, 
discriminatory or like racism or something and like suddenly they click into gear but um i feel like if you don't use those buzzwords they like don't fully process like what's happening so like in this example of this like jho rendition when i was talking about the fact that they were using trying to use like mudras and indian hand gestures and i was like it's the jazz category if you want to do a jazz dance to jho do a jazz dance to jho i don't care but if you start trying to use indian elements then that's when it becomes like you know insensitive and they're like it's the jazz category we're just doing turns um and they don't they like until i was like no that is racism then they're like oh okay so there a lot of people are still incapable of having a nuanced conversation um, but the second you use certain buzzwords then i feel like they go into defensive mode um and that's i guess progress because before if you use those words it, it wouldn't re even really matter um but i would love to get to a place where people are just like able to have a bit more like nuance of a conversation about why certain things are okay and why certain things are not okay um and to be clear this is not just for like white dancers like i feel like um in the bollywood community we have a really bad habit of not respecting other dance forms like there's a lot of these things coming up now like i don't know if you've seen like Kutu hop or Afro Desi or all these sorts of like fusion sort of classes that are coming up in New York. Um, and there's a lot of people taking other non-Indian dance forms that they don't have a ton of training in and like smashing them with Indian dance forms and like marketing it and making money off of it. And we have like the same problem in, in the Indian community. Um, like you can't get angry at the Oscars for not hiring, you know, Indians to perform the Indian work, but then do the same thing to a black art form. That doesn't make it okay. Um, so I think all around people are just like, when you use certain trigger words, they jump into action, but like aren't good at like in their everyday critically thinking about how their choices um, affect everyone, if that makes any sense. Yeah, completely. And for the institutions that you say have made progress, what have they done to make the industry more equitable? And if not, what do you think they can do in the future to promote DEI and inclusion in the arts industry? Yeah, so I think like one great example, um, celebrity dance competitions and celebrity dance conventions, which I work for, they're not very big on the East Coast, so you probably haven't heard of them, but they're massive, like anywhere west of the Mississippi, really. Um, huge competition and convention. Um, and I've worked for them on and off through the years, and there have been times where I, you know, leave to go to other conventions, and I always find myself coming back to celebrity, um, just because I feel like the judges and the staff there are like really, really trying to like, in like show their clientele like how much of the dance world they're unaware of um so i just feel like they really live um like the diversity and equity in all their policies so for example when we go to certain cities we always try and cater our food from black-owned businesses and like no one promotes or advertises that it's just like the right thing to do um so i feel like even in the choices where they're not necessarily promoting it on social media they just like are always thinking about how they can diversify um, where they spend their money, who they get their, you know, t-shirts from, like all those random decisions actually like really matter and like the diversity that you as a large business like support within the community. Um, and then they're also really supportive of like, you know, the teachers having discussions about the industry with the convention students and having these like small group discussions about equity or putting us in touch with certain students ahead of time to be like, hey, if you want to talk to me, um, after convention, I'm happy to be here for you as a mentor. So I feel like they just really do a good job of like supporting their faculty and like doing whatever it is they want to do to make like the world, the dance world more inclusive. And so I like really um, respect that um, because even if like your faculty or judges have certain ideas, if like the staff at the competition or convention doesn't support it, there's like really nothing you can do. Um, so I'm always really thankful to them for that. I think 
organization who has done a good job. Um, that's really what they're doing is they're hiring people who have experience, a diverse set of experiences, and then they're letting them drive the direction um, of their events or of their shows um, rather than trying to hold on to control from the top. Because even if you hire the right choreographers or dancers, if the director isn't open to doing things differently, then it doesn't really matter who you hire. Um, so that's what I'd say people are doing right. Um, but that's hard to do, and that's also what people are doing wrong. I've seen so many shows where they try and hire Indian dancers or they hire, try and hire an Indian choreographer, but then the white director overrides the costuming choice or they override the movement choice or they override the formation choice or the song choice. Um, and so um, it's hard, I think, for directors and producers and those higher up the chain to trust those under them because they've used a certain formula for years and it's worked and they just want to make their money and know that it works um and so that's like i think the hard fight is like even if you're the choreographer like negotiating with those higher up the chain to let you do what you want to do um is something that i think will take a lot of work to get um the like existing producers to like be comfortable letting go of the reins of it um, and that's a very just like each show and each studio and each performance, it's a negotiation every single time. So it's a long, long and hard amount of work before like it changes at a structural level. Yeah, I think like having all different aspects of the industry to have the change of just like at the surface level, because then nothing's going to happen, like you said. Yeah, um, I think the other thing that we don't talk about much, at least in the South Asian community, is um, and we've started talking about since... Um, the recent situation with the Oscars is um, having solidarity like amongst our own community. Um, like after that um, Oscars episode, um, a group of us started a like uh, South Asian like performing artist solidarity group, which is just like a very small subset of like South Asian performing arts professionals. And like right now, we're not trying to like you know set up a foundation or anything. It's really just like a support group. And honestly, just having a conversation with like this set of colleagues once a month is like makes changes my like viewpoint on like how frustrated I get sometimes working in the dance world because when you can just like vent to colleagues who like really understand what you're going through even if you can't fix the situation you feel so heard um and so even if you don't walk away with a solution it's like oh, okay I'm not crazy for feeling the way I am these other seven people get me and I can like offload that and then like go back to my work and not feel so like crazy and stressed um, and I think as a South Asian community, we're not always great at that sort of like solidarity community like um, aspect, um, especially in the arts because there's so few of us. Um, but that has really been like honestly life changing for me over the past few months is just having a group of people that I can even just like send a voice memo to and vent and be like, you don't need to fix this, but I just want to talk about this like really annoying situation that happened. And people can just be like, yeah, I'm so sorry, that sucks. And then once in a while, people have ideas of how to fix it, but just having that support group, even if there's no solutions, is a huge step that I think sometimes we under-prioritize in the South Asian community. Yeah, yeah, I think conversation is so key. And like our conversation, what ways can others who may be listening to our conversation promote equity in their arts community? Such a hard question. Um, honestly, I feel like the answer in your community is, A, making sure the people in the room represent diverse perspectives um, and diverse isn't just racially or ethnically you know it's like diversity of like money and socioeconomic background which is a huge problem in the dance world um, so making sure you have you know diverse set of people in the space and then um, letting them uh, 
give opinions and drive the direction of your organization. So whether it's like a dance studio, right? Like having a like parental advisory group that really represents like the diversity of your community. And then if, you know, the black parents are feeling like they're, they're not really at home at the studio, like really actually listening to that rather than just uh, letting them talk and then moving on and not changing anything. So it's simple to say, but it's also really hard to do in practice. It's hard to assemble these groups of diverse perspectives and it's hard to really actually take the feedback you get and actually make change in your own studio or company or whatever. Um, so it's simple to express, but really hard to do correctly, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And for minorities, do you have any advice for them who um, may be facing similar struggle, struggles in the arts industry? Yeah, um, I guess the first thing is be kind to yourself. Um, I didn't realize this when I was younger, but now I realize it. Sometimes I just need a break from certain parts of the dance industry um, and sometimes from dance as a whole. And it's like totally okay to take that break. Um, so for example, sometimes I'm really involved in the Indian dance community and then sometimes I just need a bit of space. Um, and taking that space is totally okay. You don't need to apologize for it. Um, and if you want to go back to it after taking that break, then you know that it's something you're truly passionate about. So that's the first thing is be kind to yourself, let yourself take breaks. And then the second thing is find people who um, support you and you feel like you can go to with any problem that you have. Um, like I said, I now have the South Asian Artist Solidarity Group. And outside that, I just have a bunch of dance colleagues and friends that I feel like when situations happen to me, I can just call and talk to them about it. Um, and that community has made it so much easier for me to like navigate all the weird situations I end up in. Um, so yeah, those would be the two pieces of advice I have is take breaks for and take space for yourself and then surround yourself with people who you just trust and you know um, will be there to support you when things go awry. Because unfortunately they will go awry and it's really important that you have your like cheerleaders for you when those moments come up. Yeah, those are great pieces of advice. And unless you have any of the last thoughts, those are the only questions I had for you. Um, no, that's all I guess I had. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. It was great hearing your stories and experiences. Thanks so much. Once again, thank you to Vikas for speaking with me, and I hope listeners were able to learn more about this topic through our conversation. New episodes are released every other Friday. If you have any questions, please send them to at TCIA Podcast on Twitter or to at The Color and Art on Instagram. At the end of each episode, I'll definitely answer any questions sent. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a five-star rating or review as it helps me so much. And thank you for listening, and I hope you all have an amazing weekend.